you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. This will just be our opening text. We'll be going to several different places today, but a while back I did kind of an informal survey with some of the fellows at Turney Center, and I asked them, I said, if there's one thing that keeps you from being the kind of Christian you would like to be and you think God wants you to be, what is it? And all of the responses I've got could be put into four categories, and and we're going to look at those four categories, because as I got to looking at these, I got to thinking they're the same things that keep me from being what I would like to be, and so what we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to look at the fact that in uh, and, and all these categories, what I want us to see is God is bigger. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of guilt in our past, and that God is bigger than our past, and God also is bigger than our fears. He's bigger than our anger, our bitterness, our ability to forgive. He is bigger than our pain. Uh, so the next four weeks, we're going to look at a, to kind of bring in our new year, the fact that God is bigger. He's bigger, whatever it is that's holding us back, God is big enough to defeat that. And then after those four weeks, I want to do, spend a couple of weeks looking at just what exactly is the local church. What do we mean when we say a local church? And what do we mean by church membership? Why join the church? How do you join the church? What, what is church membership all about? Uh, we're going to look at that for a week or two. And then I want to jump into the book of 1 Peter and do a verse-by-verse uh, verse study of 1 Peter. That will be either late winter, early spring as we, as we move along through this year. Now, the Holy Spirit may lead me a different direction, but that's just kind of what's on my heart now over the next few weeks. But this morning, we're going to look at the idea that God is bigger than my past. One of the things that Satan likes to do is to create doubt in the minds of God's people. Uh, and perhaps the biggest doubt God puts in our minds is this. Is God big enough to handle this? Or is God big enough to handle that? Can he fix this? Can he overcome that? And our hands say yes. If I were to ask you this morning, and, and don't raise your hands, but do you believe God is big enough to handle any problem? We would all raise our hands and say yes. We, we know God is all-powerful. We know God is all-present. We know God is everywhere. We know that he's, he knows everything. He's eternal. But my question is, does that sink from our heads into our hearts? While our head says, says yes, I think sometimes, at least speaking for me, my heart starts to wander. And, and I won't come out and say, I don't know if God is big enough to deal with that. But what we may do is say, well, I don't think God, he's so busy running the universe that he doesn't really have time for my little problems. And, and can I suggest to you this morning that God is bigger than whatever it is you want to lay on the plate, God is bigger. Our God said, we read last night in the creation account, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be water, and there was water, and he divided the waters in the heavens from the waters on the earth. He separated the seas and made dry land. 
He made all the plants appear. He made all the trees appear. He made all the animals appear. He created humans. God keeps the planets on their axis without them falling off. God keeps the earth just close enough to the sun where we don't freeze, but just far enough away so that we don't burn up. He spins the earth just fast enough so that we don't get flung off into the universe, but it holds us all together. Our God is an awesome God. And our God is bigger than whatever it is we want to put in front of him. God is bigger this morning than my past. We all have a past. All of us do. Most of us have a past where there are moments, there are hours, there are months, there are days, there are years that maybe we would just as soon erase. I've got a friend of mine, we were talking one time, and, and I said, what is your biggest regret? And he said, June the 28th, 1982. And he never told me what happened that day, but whatever it is, that day in his life and in his mind, he wished he could make it go away. Most of the folks I see in Turney Center, they wish they had 15 minutes of their life back because there's regret. And all of us, if we're honest, there are things we've done that we wish we hadn't done. And what Satan will do to us, we'll get, going, we'll get to going along good and we'll be reading our Bible, we'll be studying, we'll be coming to church, we'll get on fire for the Lord. And Satan will put that past right in our minds. And he says, yeah, but remember this. Yeah, but remember that. Do you have any right to go to church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus when you've done this? Do you have any right to go to church and sing victory in Jesus when you've done that? And you all have heard the, the commercial before. There's an app for that. You know, whatever it is, there's an app for that. And there really is. There's either an app for it or a YouTube video. Well, whatever you want to say, all these things we're going to look at, our past, our anger, our pain, our fear, there's a character in the Bible that dealt with that, and God helps show us how he's bigger than whatever it is we're dealing with. So today, we're going to look at the past of a very well-known Bible character. He has a past, he has a very big past, but the past of, Matt, or of Peter, we're going to put first to center this morning. We're going to call him down. We'll put him on the witness stand and say, Peter, we're going to examine your life. And what if I were to tell you, we're going to bring you up front and center. We're going to examine your life. Would it scare you to death? Would it horrify you? Can I suggest as we look at Peter's past, let's look at what God did for Peter and realize he does the same thing for each of us. In Matthew chapter 26, let's look beginning at verse 69. And to set the stage here, they came to the Garden of Eden, the soldiers have. They've arrested Jesus. They've, they've taken Jesus to the courtyard. Peter follows. And he is standing across the courtyard. And as Jesus is getting ready to stand trial. Let's see how this scene unfolds, beginning 
verse 69 of Matthew 26. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little while later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also were one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, the cock crowed, or the rooster crowed. This scripture is familiar to us. We know this story. We know about Peter the apostle that denied Jesus. But what we don't know is that this scene is not the beginning of Peter's fall. This scene is just the end. So what we're going to do this morning, first of all, we're going to go back in time a little bit. We're going to look first at Peter's call. Flip in your Bibles back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Beginning at verse 1. And pay attention to this story and kind of the details of it because it will come up again here in a little while. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So as we look at this idea of Peter's call, Peter and his partners, Andrew, James, and John, they had been fishing all night. Now when you and I go fishing, we take a fishing pole and we cast out and we, we just wait for the fish to come along. When these guys fished, it was back-breaking work. They would take a weighted net, and they would throw it as far as they could throw it, and then they would bring it in, and whatever the uh, net would, would, whatever fish would get into the net, they would bring it into the boat. Well, they had done that over and over all night long, and they hadn't caught a thing. It was back-breaking work. They were tired, they were worn out, and they had come back into 
the side of the lake. It's, it, it says that it's the lake of Gennesaret. It's the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Tiberias. John's going to call it in a little while when we read it. It's that same body of water. It's a freshwater lake in, in northern Palestine. And they were washing their nets. And Jesus comes along. He gets in the boat and says, Peter, can you push me out away from shore just a little bit? So Peter's out here, or Jesus is out here, and he's preaching and teaching. And when he gets done preaching and teaching, he tells Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter looked at him and says, uh, Lord, we, we fished all night, and they're just not biting. What he's kind of saying is, I'm a professional fisherman, and, and I know that you know, you're, you're, you're not a fisherman, I am, and, and the fish, they're, 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 we fished all night. That's the best time to fish, and, and they're not, they're not going to bite now. But, he says, at your word, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not going to do any good, but I'll do it. And so they dropped the nets, and the net was so full of fish that the nets start breaking. So everybody, they come, they come to help Peter. They get the net back to shore, and Peter just falls and says, Lord, just depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Interestingly enough, that's the same reaction that folks have when they encounter God. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah was coming to the temple and the glory of God and the train of his robe, God's robe filled the temple and Isaiah says, Woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful man. Peter was a professional fisherman. He knew for something like this to happen. This guy, now I don't think Peter knew this was God yet. But I do believe he knew it was somebody that God sent. He knew it was somebody that had influence with God. Because he says, I'm a sinful man, you're not. And Jesus says, Peter, get up. He said, I, you're fishing for fish now. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to fish for people, some translations say. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Jesus says, follow me. It says they got up and followed him. Now, look at Matthew chapter 5. Told you we're going to bounce around a little bit today. Matthew chapter 5. We're just kind of examining the life of Peter. Matthew chapter 5. That's not right. <laughs> but if you'll start in Matthew, and you read all the way through it, you'll see Matthew's version of where Jesus called. Here we go. Matthew 4, verse 19. I usually double-check my notes when I put that down. Matthew 4, verse 19 is the verse I want. But we'll start at verse 18 for context. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this is Peter's call. God called Jesus. Uh, Jesus called Peter. He says, You follow me. And we won't read it for time's sake, but do you remember what Luke said? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, If any man wants to follow me, 
He first has to deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. So this is Peter's call. God calls, Jesus calls Peter to follow him. Those of us this morning that are Christ followers, Jesus has called us to follow him as well, right? So the first step of us following him is to deny ourselves. To deny ourselves and follow him. So that's Peter's call. Now let's look at Peter's confidence. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And look at verses 31 and 32. It's really down to verse 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Four thoughts here. Jesus says, first of all, in verse 31, says, Peter... Satan has asked for you that he, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in Peter's shoes and I knew that Satan had asked for me, that'd make me feel a little bit uneasy, wouldn't it, you? Can I let you in on a secret? Satan's asked for you as well. Satan asked for Job. Satan goes into the throne room of God and he slanders people. Remember what he said about Job? He said the only reason Job follows you is because you bless him. If you take all that stuff away from him, he won't. Satan has asked for each one of us, and that ought to wake us up. When we realize that Satan has two jobs, to keep the lost lost, and to keep the saved confused and useless. Can I tell you that if you're, if you're a Christian, Satan can't take your salvation. But can I tell you, Satan can take your witness. Satan can take your joy. Satan can take your testimony. Satan can take your confidence. Satan can take your living in victory. Satan has asked for you. That ought to wake you up. Because this all has to do with Peter's fall. Now, we all say we're following Jesus. We are called to follow. Understand that when you decide to follow Jesus, that Satan's going to ask for you. He's already got you if you hadn't followed Jesus. He doesn't have to, have to ask for you. But Satan asks, but Jesus says, he says in verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. I got good news for you this morning. Satan has asked for you. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus is praying for you. Scripture tells us that Jesus is our intercessor. He's in heaven standing between us and God. Just as it ought to wake you up to know that Satan is asking for you, 
It should comfort you to know that Jesus is praying for you. I've got a question for you. How would you feel if in the morning when you're putting your clothes on and you're standing there in the restroom shaving, brushing your teeth, you ladies are putting your makeup on, whatever it is that you do, uh, what if you could hear from the other side of the room Jesus saying, Andy, I'm praying for you today. Dexter, I'm praying for you today. Allison, I'm praying for you today. Would it give you confidence? Would it give you strength? Would it make you feel, hey, that's pretty cool to know that Jesus is praying for me? Can I tell you that even though Jesus is in heaven, can I tell you the distance doesn't make any difference? Jesus praying for you wherever he is is just as effective as he would be if he were in the room with you. Satan is asking for you. Satan is praying for you that your faith may not fail. Now what does that mean? Let, let's get down to brass tacks. What's he talking about? Our faith in what? Our faith in the fact that our God is big enough to deal with whatever we're going to deal with. Whatever temptation we have, whatever hard times we have, whatever comes our way that's negative, God is bigger. God can handle it. God's got it. I pray that your faith may not fail. This should have woke Peter up. Peter says, Satan wants me to fall. Satan wants me to fail. A third thing here in verse 32. I pray for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, you know what this tells me? If you return, it means you got to leave, right? Satan is telling Peter right here, you're going to fall. All of us sitting here, if we're honest, have we done the same thing Peter did? We might not have done it in a courtyard. <laughs> we might not have done it in a courtroom. But there are times that we've let the Lord down. There are times that we've denied the Lord. There are times that our faith has fallen. So he says, when you've returned, he says, strengthen your brethren. Afterward, when you come back, so it says, First, there's four things that says. Satan's praying for you. I'm feeling that you're not going to fall. You're going to fall. When you return to me, strengthen your brother. He says, you're going to fall, but you're going to come back. So that's Peter's call. That's Peter's confidence. Now let's look at Peter's cowardness. Peter's cowardness. And that's in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, it's the same thing we read with Luke, just a little different account. Matthew 26, verse six, uh, 69 to 75. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. Or Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little while later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also were one of them, for your speech betrays you. 
And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. We know the story. I don't know how far apart Jesus and Peter were, but one of the accounts says when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at Peter. They were close enough to lock eyes, and Peter remembered what Jesus said. Now, Peter was called. Satan asked for Peter. Peter here, we would say he was a coward. But that's what wasn't what Peter was thinking when he went into this situation. Look back at Luke 22. And I know we're flipping and moving. Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. And back at... Verses 31 and 32 again. But this time we'll read 33 and 34. But Jesus said to him, Peter, or, or I'm sorry, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In other words, he's saying, Lord, now these other guys, they might leave you. But he said, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to go to jail. I'm even ready to die for you. And look what Jesus says. Jesus says, Peter, I tell you, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Peter says, I'm ready to die for you, Lord. And I believe Peter in his heart believed that. Because do you remember what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane? All the soldiers show up. There could have been as many as 500 soldiers. You remember what? There's 12 of really 11 apostles of Jesus, you remember what Peter did? He drew out a sword. He's ready to fight. There's no way these guys could whip off. He's ready to die. And remember he cut the ear off the servant? I've said before, Peter was either an expert swordsman or he wasn't very good at it. He was either aiming for the ear and cut it off or he's aiming for his head. And, uh, and, and I would guess as a fisherman, he probably wasn't real good as a swordsman. But anyway, Jesus picks up the ear and he puts it back on the fellow. And he says, Peter, put your sword away. And at that moment in time, I think Peter was confused. He thought Jesus was going to overthrow Rome. He thought Jesus was going to be the mighty warrior king David was. And Israel was going to have their independence back. Everything Peter thought about Jesus wasn't true. And he doesn't know what to do, and now he's faced with this situation. Can I tell you if you've been called of Jesus, and if you're saved, you are. Satan has asked for you. Satan is coming to tempt you. Jesus is praying for you. But can I tell you that the first step toward falling is being confident. Peter says, these guys might not be with you. But Peter says, I will. I will. I'll die for you, Lord. I, I'll never desert you. I'll never leave you. Peter says, or Jesus says, Peter, 
before the rooster crows, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. Peter does. Peter hears the rooster crow. He looks into the eyes of Jesus, and he goes out, and he weeps bitterly. Can I tell you that could have been the end? Can I tell you that Peter could have stayed away from Jesus? As a matter of fact, I think maybe he might have had that idea. Luke or John 29, or 21 rather. John 21. This is our last scripture. John 21. We've looked at Peter's call. We looked at Peter's confidence. We looked at Peter's cowardness, and now we'll look at Peter's commission. John chapter 21. Beginning at verse 1, after these things, that's after Jesus had showed himself a couple of times to the disciples, after his resurrection. He showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, that's the same body of water, that the first commission took place. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going to go with you. They went out and immediately got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Does this sound familiar? But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment or his tunic, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw the fire of coals there, and the fish laid on it and the bread. Where did Jesus get fish? Huh, he must be God, right? Anyway, he's got fish. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love these me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and other will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. So Peter decides after his denial that he's going to go out and he's going to go fishing. He's going to go back to where he was comfortable. He was going to, back, going to go back doing what it was he was doing before he started following Jesus. John and some of the other apostles said, we're going to go with you. They fish all night. They don't catch any fish. At daybreak, they see a fellow standing on the bank, and the, the guy calls and says, have you caught anything? He says, we, we haven't caught anything. Well, put your net down on the right side and watch what happens. And so they did, and sure enough, the net was full. The lights go off in John's mind. The bells go off. And John says, we've seen this before. That's Jesus. And when John tells Peter that's Jesus, Peter, bless his heart, he pulls on his coat, he jumps out of the boat, and he goes to Jesus. I believe this is Peter's repentance. When you are not repenting, you're running away from the Lord. The Lord had already appeared twice to these apostles in his resurrected form. But I don't, I don't think Peter had totally gotten over what he had done to the Lord. His denial. So he decides he's going to go fishing. But when Jesus is right there front and center, Peter goes running to Jesus. Do you remember the last time Peter got out of a boat and went to Jesus when he walked on the water? We give Peter a hard time by saying he didn't have enough faith to walk on the water. Peter's the only one of those apostles that had enough faith to get out of the boat. Amen? So twice, Peter knows that the best place for him is wherever Jesus is. And so that's where Peter goes. True repentance sends us toward Jesus not away from Jesus. And then after breakfast, I think Jesus and Peter get to the side and they have a conversation. And there are two thoughts in this conversation. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. Now there's a play on the word love. In English, we love everything from apple pie to Chevrolet to mama. In Greek, they had four, at least four words for love. Peter, Jesus uses, Jesus, or Peter, do you agape me? That's the highest form of love, the wishing the best good on any individual. Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Peter says, I, I phileo you, Lord. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And it upsets Peter, and Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And so finally the third time, Peter says, or Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? And, Jesus, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Go feed my sheep. Go take care of my sheep. 
That last time Jesus uses the word love, he uses the same word Peter does. And I don't think that part's the important part. The important part is, you remember where we read back in Luke 22 when, when, when Peter said, I won't leave you. Jesus says, Peter, when you fall, when you come back, he says, afterward, strengthen your brethren. Jesus reaffirms that right here. He says, if you love me, Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. I have a job for you. And then he ends the conversation by saying, follow me. That's the same thing Jesus says at Peter's first call. Follow me. Peter's got a past. Did Jesus know Peter denied him? Absolutely. In spite of that denial, Jesus says, Peter, I've got a job for you. I've got work for you. I've got work for you to do. Peter would go and he would preach the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost to the Jews. 3,000 people got saved that day. Peter would pre preach the first gospel sermon to the Gentiles with Cornelius. Peter had a tremendous life for the Lord. Secular history tells us, it's pretty reputable second, secondary history, tells us that Peter was crucified. But he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was, so he was crucified upside down. And as Peter's wife was being led to be crucified as well, because they both died the same day, the last words Peter said to his wife was, remember the Lord. Peter lived a great life for the Lord after his past. God was bigger than Peter's past. Now what do we learn from that? Very quickly, number one, a lot of folks claim to follow Jesus, but they haven't really denied themselves. A lot of people follow Jesus for what they can get out of. A lot of people follow Jesus for the good stuff. A lot of people follow Jesus so they'll be blessed. But when we don't empty ourselves to give Jesus room to fill us, can I tell you sooner or later we will fall? If you haven't heard anything else, listen to this. If you don't empty, if you claim to be a Christ follower and you don't empty yourself, to give Jesus Christ enough room to fill you. If you stay full of yourself, the time's coming, you will fall. It might not be here yet, but that time's coming. Secondly, Satan is real and he is out to kill and destroy each of us. Satan's not playing. Satan is at war against God. And part of that war to him is defeating your witness. As long as you're on fire for the Lord, you may bring somebody, you may take somebody out of Satan's kingdom and help bring them, help the Lord bring them into his kingdom. If he can defeat your witness, you won't do that. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to keep you on the sidelines. Number three, we've been saved to serve. If you love me, feed my sheep. You haven't been saved to sit. You've been saved to work. Whatever it is that gift the Lord's given you, it's for part of our body. We'll talk about that more when we talk about what the church is and church membership. 
But the gifts that you have is for the use of the whole body. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But finally, God was bigger than Peter's past. God redeemed Peter. He forgave Peter for his past. And says, Peter, it's time to move on. Whatever your past is, don't let that keep you out of going to work for the Lord. Don't let that disqualify you. Put it behind you. Ask God to forgive you and move on. As we wrap up, do you remember the story in the Bible about the guy who messed up so bad? He, he had sinned so much that God wouldn't or couldn't forgive him. Y'all remember that story? I don't either. Because it's not there. That was almost a trick question. That story's not in the Bible. You can't sin. Your past can't be so big that God won't forgive you. I'm all about trying to help people get over their past and have a future. God can take your past and make a better future out of that. You can learn from your past. That's a whole other sermon. We won't go there. It's time to hush. But can I tell you that you need to do like Peter. You realize the Lord's there. Jump out of the boat and go run to the Lord. Amen? Amen. He's ready to Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this story of Peter. And I know that we all have a past, Lord. And I pray that you wouldn't let us and wouldn't let Satan use our past to keep us from having the future you want us to have. I pray we would have the courage to come to you with, with our past, ask forgiveness. And I pray that you would help us to move on past our past so that we could live in the present and glory in your future. In Jesus' name, amen.